welcome to Vista Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Priscilla Charles, and I'm delighted to be joined in Studio 2 today by Barbara Brennan. Hi, Barbara. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hello. How are you doing? Thanks. Uh, so, uh, Barbara, for those who wouldn't know, uh, Barbara is a program coordinator at Seat Change. Uh, so, we're just going to get on. Uh, let's move on and get on with the show. Um, so, again, thanks so much for being with us on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, I know you're quite busy. You know, I know that you were giving a presentation this morning for the Special Olympics. Uh, yeah. How did that go? All well? It was great, and and like we've we've discussed here, you know, there's always um, tech problems, and um, I think we're all in the same space. We're all learning, and it is about reaching out and having conversations and, and allowing that space. But um, I think I think from a training perspective, it went well. From a conversation perspective, it went well, um, and I got to to meet a few new people, so it's always good. Fantastic. Glad to hear that. Thank you so much. So, um, so Barbara, for our global audience who listening, um, who's listening or watching this interview, can you tell us a little bit about yourself for those who wouldn't know you? Sure. So, as I mentioned, I'm the program coordinator for Sea Change. So, Sea Change is our national stigma reduction partnership in Ireland. We're running for ten years, and Sea Change is a project of Shine. So, Shine supports people affected by mental ill health, and we have uh, lots of different services like counselling, peer support groups, um, and that kind of piece. And essentially, Sea Change started ten years ago to look at particularly the stigma that still exists around mental ill health. Um, so, for me, I look at how I can help people have those conversations and particularly from a point of view of the societal change that we look at. Um, my background in this area is really around how do I help people have conversations and I know we're going to talk about that a, bit, a little bit later um, but really you know my passion is about helping people understand that we can all make a difference and we can all have a conversation. Um, separate to that I am an artist, I'm a gardener, um, I do lots of different things, um, I'm that really annoying person that always just could so I draw, I paint, I make jewellery, um, you know, so there's all of that side as well, and I think that's the, the amazing thing about people that we are so multifaceted, and there's lots of different things behind the job that you do or behind the single hobby that you have. We're, we're all these different things. So, um, so I'm I'm very grateful to to have a, a very rich experience of life so far. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And as you mentioned, so you're involved in various activities. And uh, so before, um, before joining Sea uh, Change, you've, you've held various roles uh, in different industries, um, including sales and crafting, as you mentioned. Um, what, what led you to a change of direction, um, you know, to becoming a public speaker and, um, and help others really extend their wellness? Well, I think the, the first half of my life was really... Um, I actively wanted to be an artist. I wanted to create change in that way and engage people in that in that space, I suppose, um, and really channeled all of my activity and all of everything in that. In the same way, I even had gone and, and opened a craft business at one point. Um, you know, so I've done I've done an awful lot in that area. And I suppose the um, the pivot moment, if you like, was um, I'm actually a suicide survivor. So. I didn't, I didn't plan on that. I didn't expect that. And, and what happened was that alongside doing all of this art and running my own business and doing all this other stuff in life, I became really ill. And I lived with mental illness throughout my teenage years and throughout all of my 20s. And I became very, very unwell towards the end of my 20s. And I ended up on life support. Um, and I suppose surviving that it gave me an opportunity to really look at my life and to look at what is it that I'm doing now and how can I change? And I, I had this chance to really live 
Whereas up to that point, I think I had only lived in very small ways because my illness hadn't allowed me. And this was also the first time that I took responsibility for my wellness. And that shift in my perspective of living with an illness as opposed to living with wellness or challenging my wellness, I'd never, I'd never had that before. So, so really understanding that and getting well, because I also never understood that people who struggle with mental health problems can and do get better until it happened to me and so really my passion came from the chance that I lived when I shouldn't have and that I really had this opportunity to change my life and then as I started changing my life new challenges came and I rose to that challenge and I and I still got better and got stronger and I started looking at this idea that somebody should do something somebody should do something about this mental health epidemic that we have about the suicide epidemic that we have somebody should help people who are struggling because so many people are and i started getting really upset and angry about that and then i realized that i was somebody that i could make a difference and so i started reaching out to different organizations that i had worked with as a client um, and then started saying well maybe some of the things that i have learned that have helped me to, to get well and to come off medication, for example, in a safe way and do all these other things to keep my wellness. Maybe there are things that I'm doing that might help another person. And it isn't just about the medication. Some people need to be on medication and they, and they prefer to be, and that's absolutely okay. But it's about the other stuff because I never realized that looking at my sleep and nutrition and hobbies and all the different things, aspects of our life, all of those impact how we feel and, and how our mental health is. So it was really that piece that spurred me to go and start having these conversations and pushing to see how I could help. Um, and I suppose it was true. Um, I used to be a service user of Chime and through going through to them to say, look, how can I give back and what support can I give you? they were at the point of launching sea change so i became one of the first ambassadors to tell my story and this experience of mental health experience or lived experience as we call it to help people understand that when we don't mind our mental health that you can slip and you can become unwell yes. so it, it started there um and then in 2012 i helped with the, uh, the workplace program there and i became one of the first facilitators so um, we built that program and basically that, that looks at how do we have mental health conversations in workplaces and how do we support our management to have that open conversation and and feel that it's a safe space to do so and that look at the culture change that we need to have so i facilitated that for a number of years and then in 2019 i took over running uh, running sea change so it's been it's been a really interesting journey and not not particularly one that I planned on. Um, I certainly never saw that I was going to become a public speaker with the, uh, the topic of mental health and well-being as my as my speciality, if you like. Certainly, from where I was 12 years ago or 15 years ago. Whereas now it makes sense to me that this piece of lived experience—it's a human experience that we all have—and it's wonderful to see that people want to have these conversations and learn, and that that society has changed. That the voice of lived experience is a really important one in this conversation. So I'm very I'm very grateful that I have had the experience in all these different roles with Sea Change, but it also means that we have an opportunity from a societal point of view to have different kinds of conversations. Yes, absolutely, and to keep the conversation going. Uh all the time really because um, it's so important everybody can go through this uh, whether it's um, with the current situation very unfortunate uh, covid situation or on a general basis and i suppose this has changed over the years and not um i know some generations wouldn't have necessarily talked about this exactly 
it's fantastic to hear that you know all the fantastic the work that you do and uh, and um, and for people to uh, to know that there's a place that they can go and that they can talk to someone is so important thank you so much absolutely so um so you've mentioned your role uh, as a program coordinator in the organization and and um and Sea Change is a registered charity and funded by the, Dep the Department of Health um, Development Funding, I understand, uh, National Office of Suicide Prevention, Health Service Executive, uh, St. John of God Hospital and Patrick Mental Health Services. So you do obviously work with a lot of um, well-known organizations. Can you tell me a little bit about this? So basically, um, as I mentioned, Sea Change is a project of Shine and Shine is a mental health organization. And one of the things that Sea Change really loves to do is, is be in partnership. So this idea that nobody has the right answer on their own, but in partnership and in collaboration, we can come up with some really good content and some really good answers to some of the problems that we have from a societal point of view. The National Office of Suicide Prevention is our main funder. And really, we look at the pieces under Connecting for Life and how we can slot into that piece about suicide prevention, mental health awareness, and particularly for us, it's that piece of stigma reduction. Because for most people, when we think of this idea of mental health, what we actually hear is mental illness. And when we hear mental illness, we also jump to the severe and enduring mental illness. We jump to that place of this person can't cope, they, you know, they have to be crazy, they have to be on medication, they most likely can't work. We, we get all of these ideas. Mm -hmm. And most often it's actually wrong. And, and that's where, where stigma comes in because it's not that we've learned to do that. It's not that we've gone on a course. It's not that we've seen a movie how to. It's that society has taught us over time. So how that's shown up really is, you know, the whispers that we heard growing up, like, you know, um, she suffers with her nerves or, you know, he's not right in the head or, you know, those kind of things. Or even when we heard our grandparents mentioning the house on the hill or, you know, like, don't be doing that, just send me to the madhouse. Those, mm -hmm. those kind of things, that's stigmatizing language. And that's where stigma originated in these places. This idea that, if you become mentally unwell, you will be taken out and segregated from society. You will go to somewhere that is separate. You will be deemed less than and worse than. And chances are you won't come back from that. And if you do, you'll be forever marked and forever less than. So essentially, that's the piece around stigma. What we know about stigma is that it's prejudiced and it's, it's about um, this idea of a mark. It's a mark of disgrace. And the piece about it that makes it personal is that it's not about the illness. It's about the person. Mm -hmm. So this is where with other illnesses we see, like, for example, cancer, you don't see people looking at, at a person and saying you are cancer. You say you have it or you suffer from it or you're dealing with it or, you know, the, this, the language is very, very different. Whereas when we talk about mental illnesses, people say, well, you know, I am depressed or I am schizophrenic or I am or he is or she is you know in the same way if we talked about so I, I mentioned earlier i'm a suicide survivor if i had said 12 years ago i broke my leg i know you'd be kind of going like do you want the medal you know like <laughs> why are you telling me that it's not relevant but the thing is as soon as we say anything about a mental illness or that experience people's perceptions of you change mm -hmm. and they also don't forget it so if I was to say I broke my leg 12 years ago in the course of our conversation or if we were to know each other for a long period of time, you'd probably forget that. But most people who have met me are never going to forget the fact that I was on life support. They're never going to forget that I'm a suicide survivor. That's never going to go away. And that's the bit about stigma, that it has this lasting effect and it's usually a negative thing. The other thing that we know about stigma is that it, it, it is really silence. It's where stigma 
takes away the ability to have conversations. And what we know about stigma in that instance is it's fear-based. So usually it's not that somebody is trying to do stigma to somebody. It's not that they're trying to be horrible or they're trying to eliminate somebody from the conversation or ostracize them or separate them or isolate them. But what they, what they are is fearful. They're afraid of saying the wrong thing. They're afraid of hurting the person. They're afraid of setting them back. They're afraid of being judged. So all of this fear, what it does is it creates this massive silence and this awkwardness and this anxiety. And then that's when we then start seeing two sides of stigma coming up. So you've got public stigma and you've got um, self-stigma. The public stigma is where we would say, do it to somebody. So for example, in the, in the instance where, um, let's say I go to a supermarket. Yeah. The public stigma is where somebody would treat me differently because they know that I have a mental health difficulty mm -hmm. and they are shaming me or judging me or ignoring me or treating me in a different way because of stigma. If I then internalize that and take that on, the self-stigma bit is where I perceive that I am going to be treated differently because of stigma. Yeah. But I will say to myself, I don't want to go to the shop because I'm going to get treated differently. I'm going to be treated less than, or I'm going to be ignored. And I have all this anxiety or I have all these feelings about it. So maybe I just won't go to the shop. Maybe I'll just do my shopping online. Maybe I will just retreat and I don't need to go out anyway. So now not only am I experiencing stigma, I'm also now heaping on isolation, loneliness and the negative impact of those things. So that's really where we're, we're looking at the impact of stigma and the reality of because people don't go and learn it it just it kind of just happens really it's, it's sad to hear that you know you, you keep all of this and uh, and imposing this on you and uh, um and reminds you that it's even more important to, to talk about it to someone uh so thank you so much so um speaking of um, um ending mental health stigma sea change has established a green ribbon campaign right that mm -hmm. i'd like to um, I see that this is the eighth year that it's been launched. Yeah. Right. So um, the, my understanding is that the campaign is encouraging people in Ireland to end the mental health stigma that you've talked. Can you tell us a little bit about, about the campaign? And I know this year, obviously, you know, with the current situation, you, you weren't able to necessarily go and hand in the, the ribbons in the street. So how are you yep. handling it? And what, what's, what's happening? This so this is our, our lovely green ribbon. Um, there are currently over 500,000 of them in a warehouse, desperately waiting to get out. So usually the month of May is um, Mental Health Awareness Month. And that's usually when we run our green ribbon campaign. And as you mentioned, it's eight years running. So this year, because of COVID, we postponed the campaign in, in its entirety and we've shifted it to later in the year. So we do hope that we can run the, the campaign. We're hoping to do it in October to link up with World Mental Health Day. Um, and really the idea Idea of having conversations about mental health after a pandemic it's a really good time to be talking about mental health it's also coming into the winter so again a good time to be checking in and saying how am I doing with this mm -hmm. so the kind of things that we do in Green Ribbon and at this point it's now regarded so when it happens we have conversations so for example we've got a booklet um, that you can download from our website. Our website is seachange.ie and it, um, we have a number of different publications there and this particular booklet is a guide to understanding stigma and where the content of this came from was a survey that we did um, with the general public in 2017 asking about 
the, the um, topic of, of mental health and mental illness, really looking at what are people's attitudes towards that. So the kind of things that we saw are um, the kind of words that people were using. We also saw, if I can, if I can show you this page again, we have a number of statistics as well. So this, you know, everybody's heard this one in four number. Um, and really that one in four is actually a little bit skewed because the idea that only one in four of us struggle with mental ill health isn't correct because firstly when we talk about that one in four it's a diagnosed number so that in itself is a problem because how many people do you know who don't go to the doctor if they've got a cold or a flu or they've got you know a, a strange pain or a strange lump they don't go so most likely with something that's scary to them like mental ill health they're not going to go to their doctor so so that diagnosed number isn't right the other thing is that we understand mental health in the the, the way that we all have emotions. So our mental health is our emotions, it's our behaviors, it's our feelings, and it's it's how we interact with things. So this idea, if you've ever been happy, if you've ever been sad, if you've ever been disappointed or angry or worried, that's our mental health. And so if we can start putting it in that context, everybody can identify with those things, which means that we all have mental health. So the understanding of the difference between mental health and mental illness is that mental illness is usually something that is prolonged for a prolonged period of time and it impacts your daily functioning. So while we might have feelings of, of um, low mood or, or difficult mood at times, it isn't seen as, say, clinical depression until it reaches the point where it is impacting your life negatively over a long period of time. So there are a number of markers there that need to be put in place for that. And really the whole point of sea change and particularly the Green Ribbon campaign isn't about looking at diagnostics or speaking about specific mental illnesses. What it is about is starting conversations and saying, you know what, we all have mental health. And what if we had the ability to start a conversation without the fear of being judged or the fear of being shamed or the fear of being treated differently just because of that illness? And maybe by us having these conversations, we might actually be able to totally flip it and change our lives for the better. So maybe by me getting help sooner, maybe I won't become so ill. Or maybe by me getting help sooner, maybe I won't have to go out of work. There's ways that I can manage. And this is the thing that if we understood mental health in a different way, we would approach it differently. We would be more open. We would seek support sooner. And we would also get to the point where people wouldn't get as sick as they sometimes do for fear of those conversations. So the Green Ribbon really is about how do I start a conversation? It isn't about having all the answers. It isn't about trying to diagnose somebody. It literally is by saying, by me wearing this ribbon, I'm okay to have a conversation about mental health. Maybe I don't have all the answers, but maybe we'll work it out together. And I think that's a really powerful thing. The other thing that it does is that it alerts people to the topic of mental health. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they then go, if something happened, I don't know if I'd know where to go. And the Green Ribbon is a great catalyst for people to start looking at where do I find the services? Where do I find information? Yeah. So the like of yourmentalhealth.ie or the Samaritans are always ones that we would say, go and have a look at the services that are there. And you might be able to find more information that you even knew was available. Thank you so much, Barbara. Um, absolutely, yeah, it's very interesting what you're raising about um, knowing where to get the information and also um, starting to, if I may say, educate people uh, to the idea that um, it's okay to talk about it. And uh, from um, at any age, really, I think, I think it is really important and for the next generation. So um, absolutely. 
So, um, so um, you're involved in helping others reach their potential and to expand their own wellness as a public speaker, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. and a facilitator. So you've been involved with uh, many global organizations to the likes of uh, Coca-Cola, Special Olympics Island, as we mentioned, Deloitte, Accenture, uh, Boots, and uh, many others. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your work uh, with these uh, companies in this regard? So some of it has been through Sea Change. So some of the some of those organisations I would have worked with through the Sea Change Workplace Program as a facilitator, and I would have facilitated the workplace program in their organisations for their senior management. Those workshops look at how do we understand the topic of mental health, how do we understand the topic of stigma, the impact of stigma in, in within the organisation. So from a cultural point of view, what does that look like? How do we apply culture change? And then looking at signposting and support. So that's really kind of what's with it within those work. So for some of those organizations, that was my role. And then separately to that, for a number of years while I was a facilitator, I also had my own business looking at supporting organizations, either as a public speaker, but also from a point of view of helping them go through the actions of creating this culture change. So looking at where is your organization now? Where does it need to go? Where does it need to get to, to be in that really strong, mentally well organization? And how do you support your, your organization in a better way? And what actions do you need to take to get to there? So um, with the like of Boots, as you mentioned, um, I actually worked with them on a number of different occasions. And at one point I flew over to Nottingham um, and I did a, a seminar there with, with their um, university there for their staff, looking at, you know, how do we create mental resilience and this idea of the change that we can make in our individual lives and then the impact that that will have. So really, I think my key messaging has always been about personal responsibility and about this idea of seeking wellness, mm -hmm. but most importantly, starting a conversation sooner. Because certainly for me, when I, when I look back, my first suicide attempt was at 14 years of age. I had been struggling already for at least two years at that point. I had learned how to hide it. I had learned how to silence it. I had learned how to cry quietly, all of those things. Yeah. And I understand now that had I done things differently or had I been, I suppose, wise enough and brave enough to have a conversation, the trajectory of my life would have been massively different. So it really is about how do we do that? And I think all of the organizations that we've mentioned and so many more, they're now starting to look at this idea of workplace wellness and the inclusion of mental health in that because the other piece that people don't don't always understand is that mental health sits under health and safety and where it sits from a legal point of view is under the disability acts so there is lots of different ways of approaching mental health and mental wellness from a workplace perspective absolutely yeah thank you so much yes indeed um it can be very challenging, um, uh, overwhelming, really, um, uh, the amount of work uh, that you bring then, you'd bring home and not necessarily being able to talk to someone about it. Mm -hmm. uh, if you talk about it, uh, I, I know at some point many of us go through this and it can really have a huge impact and not knowing who to talk to um, at the office. So um, do you have any specific advice for companies who are looking to improve uh, their uh, work, but wellness at work and going in this direction? Well, I think there's two aspects. Um, there's a point of view from the organizational point of view, and that would be your top-down approach. And then you've got from, from the staff point of view, so from the individual member point of view, and that's from the bottom-up approach. So I think you need a really a combination of both. So you need to get your buy-in from your senior, senior leadership, really, that they are on board with the changes that are going to come, and they're going to support different programs, like running the like of um, Sea Change or um, Mental Health First Aiders, or those kind of things, and having these 
practical conversations of what would help. The other thing that I would always suggest to organizations is to have conversations with your teams to ask what's working for you. So for example, I had a client and they had three and a half thousand staff. They had a huge wellness program and yet they had a very high rate of people going out on stress leave and on mental health leave. And part of the problem there was really that people weren't engaging with the services that were being provided. And they also had this perception that, oh, they're just ticking the box anyway. Yeah. So really, if people don't feel engaged, what is the point in providing all of this stuff? So it's about if you're going to provide something, make sure it's within a framework that it's not a uh, a kind of once and done tick box exercise or that it's a standalone thing that people understand that it's part of a process that it's going through a number of different motions to get to uh, a particular point including people in what that looks like because mm -hmm. quite often if we don't check in with the people that are doing the tasks at the front the front of house essentially maybe we've got ideas of what what would help them and they might be way off so really checking in and having those internal conversations are really important and then as i mentioned on the flip side from from the bottom up approach for people to realize i have the possibility to improve the culture of my organization there are things that i can do with my own team so maybe it's having a more open conversation with my manager or if i'm the manager having a more open conversation with my team maybe i need to have more check-ins that are not about work so for example I have a check-in with uh, with my team on a Friday morning. We are not allowed to talk about work. We are not allowed to talk about COVID. We talk about our pets. We talk about the Disney Channel. We talk about stuff on TikTok, like all of this different stuff. And we go down the internet rabbit hole and we have such a laugh. But it's to get out of that headspace. Yeah. And sometimes by allowing that create creative space, we're allowing our brain a break. And it means when we come back to work, then we've had a break and we're more we're more. Um, it's more it's more like the energy has changed in how we approach going back to work and we've had it we've had a break from it so we might come up with different solutions so really when an organization is looking at culture change in that way it's about how do i approach it from both and you meet in the middle absolutely yes thank you so much it's so important um to keep this uh close relationship and uh whether it's on a one-to-one -one basic regular check or having some support as you say internally and uh, just uh you know, break from the, the daily um, routine or um, or, um, or projects that can be quite overwhelming at a certain period of time, just all through. And um, and so, um, what do I want to say? Yeah, um, you mentioned COVID, which I like to. Um, obviously, it is unfortunately impacting many of us uh, all around the world. And um, how would you say, why is it so important in the current situation to talk about mental and physical wellness? COVID not being just physically, but uh, psychologically so impactful on some of us. Um, what would you say potentially for life, some might impact someone, how important is it to talk about it those days? Because I can, sorry. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I came across a study from the uh, Queen's University in Belfast um, in Northern Ireland uh, that our chief operations officer, even McNamara, attended. Um, and um, and th th this study discussed uh, particularly impact of COVID-19, saying that 470 people surveyed, uh, one third met of the criteria of the COVID-19 related anxiety and depression, while one of five met the criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder related to pandemic. This is huge. Mm -hmm. and, and for me, what I hear out of that is opportunity. 
And this is one of the things that, that I find very interesting. It's in how we approach things. Yeah. So for a lot of people, we're looking at the negatives that are coming out of COVID. And I think because of some of the difficulties that I've lived through in my life, I tend to be quite the optimist now. And I look at, I do look at the pessimistic side and then I look at where's the opportunity in it. So for me, the thing about COVID is that we have a massive opportunity to shift our culture and to shift our society around mm -hmm conversations what it's done is it's it's given people an opportunity to have a conversation about anxiety about stress about worry about depression about sleeplessness about all of these things that we weren't allowed to have those conversations before you know if we were in work and we were talking about stress well are you too stressed does that mean you can't handle your work or are you not stressed enough does that mean you're not working hard enough yeah. you know the idea of if you're absolutely exhausted well is it appropriate to be going into work and saying I'm so tired because now does it seem like I can't cope or that I'm not managing or that I'm living too big a life outside and I'm not bringing my full self to work? You know, so there was all of these different things and this idea of being able to bring our full selves to work and have a regular conversation about the difficult feelings that we're having. Because the other thing about our emotions and our feelings sometimes people get this idea that they're bad so this idea that feeling anxious or feeling angry or feeling worried that it's a bad feeling it isn't there are no feelings that are good or bad they are just what they are it's how we interact with them and what we do with it becomes the good or bad response so quite often if we have anxious or um, an anger response it's telling you something and it's looking for an action so most of Anxiety is uh, self-protection and it, it's from that space that we come from. So what we're seeing a lot of is that people are experiencing anxiety to a level that maybe they never have before, or we're seeing that people are struggling with, with um, feelings of depression, isolation, loneliness, when they didn't have that before. So then the, the impact of being around other people that are struggling with the exact same things. So for example, let's say I go down to the supermarket, the person in front of me is having a go at the cashier as to how we understand that and understand that actually maybe the person who's struggling in the queue and is really angry, maybe they're just really fearful. Maybe they're really anxious. Maybe they've got somebody who's sick at home or they're worried about somebody else. Showing their anxiety through anger or they're showing their anxiety in these different so it's about understanding that piece and then also in ourselves recognizing when does it show up? How does it show up? So is it, uh, you know, does my uh, temperature rise? Do my muscles tense? Do I feel angry? Do I, do I feel like I'm going to pass out? Do I feel concerned? Most importantly, what do I do in that moment? When that happens, what do I do? You know, so quite often it's the how that we get through those things or how we notice that somebody else is doing it. We would be able to say, I've noticed that, you know, that you're struggling a little bit at the moment, you know, is there something that would help you right now? Or if it was for me, I've noticed that my breathing has changed and I'm feeling a bit panicked, what would help me right now? So I think really looking at how do we have more open conversations and know that we're all in the same space. So I know that uh, in a recent webinar with uh, co-hosted with Brian Crook, uh, founder of Workplace Wellbeing Ireland, who was also one of our guests on the webin uh, on the podcast recently, you discussed the importance of speaking up. Do you think it's uh, it's changed a lot um, for the past 50 years? This is something that we really see a change uh, in companies and even at home. Absolutely. Well, certainly, I mean, I'm only in this game 10 years, you know, when I started, um, it wasn't being done. There wasn't, people weren't talking about my issue. You know, we might have talked about, um, 
you know, my son or my friend or my, my friend's son is usually where we would go, you know, or my friend's daughter. It was, it was usually once or twice removed from us and that they had a problem. And it was those whispers of, you know what, um, she's not well. You know, those kind of conversations. Whereas now we're, we're having conversations. So, so what we've seen is a level of responsibility, firstly, from a point of view of the media are portraying it in a much better way now. So for example, 10 or 15 years ago, we would have seen a lot more sensational headlines like psycho killer, these kind of things. When actually most people who have mental health conditions are not dangerous. And if anything would be more fearful and isolate themselves, so they're more less likely. You know, so, so the perceptions that are there have shifted and the like of the media are a lot more conscious of what they put out in the same way we're consuming things in a different way. So we're also seeing the like of, again, um, with media, when we what we see on TV, there is a lot more portrayals of people struggling with different illnesses, be it depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, eating disorders. We're seeing different things around that and starting to understand this human condition. We're also seeing it in workplaces where we've got these wellness programs, we've got speakers coming in, we've got the like of the workplace program with Sea Change, or like I said, mental health first aiders are, are being trained up, all of those things. Where we still have a conversation that we need to have is the me and I in it. Because it's safe for me to talk about my colleague, or it's safe for me to say, oh, did you see, you know, um, that thing that was on TV the other day, or did you see that, that uh, public sports person talking about their life? That's still separate we have to get it to the point where it's the me and I in the conversation. So what I have seen is that people are much more open to have conversations about the topic. Yeah. They're much more open to listen to a person's story. And I think the storytelling, like I've mentioned throughout this, I think really is the, is the key to this because we're not looking at the diagnostics, we're looking at the human experience. And I think that has changed. The other thing that has changed is this expert by experience. And people with lived experiences of different disabilities, not just mental health, are really being looked at across our whole system, I suppose. And this recovery model is being brought in. And people that have experience of different disabilities or different illnesses are being asked to contribute to society in a different way now, because it's seen as experience and expert by experience. So that never happened before. So I do think that we're going in the right direction, but we still do have more conversations that we need to have to make it safer again. Because while I feel I can have a conversation about mental health and work, maybe I still don't feel like I can have a conversation about my mental health because I'm worried that it might impact my job or my prospects for the future. And that's where we need to keep going to get it to the point where that is okay. Thank you so much. Um, what advice, speaking of um, anyone who would be suffering, what advice would you give to anyone struggling with uh, mental health at the moment? Don't wait. Don't wait. So if you have the remotest question of, should I talk to somebody? The answer is yes. If you have the remotest question of, could I do with some support right now? The answer is yes. If you have the remotest question of, would something help me feel better? The answer is yes, don't wait. So the reason I'm, I'm so forceful in that, I suppose, is because for so many times in my life, and I've witnessed it in, in other people's lives, where they waited, they worried about, was it the right timing to tell somebody? Was it the right person to tell? Or what was going on in their lives? So for example, one of my best friends just had a baby. That would be the perfect excuse for me not to tell her. Or, you know, my parents are moving house, perfect excuse not to tell them. 
Yeah. And this is the thing that we tell ourselves stories. And when we are in a negative headspace, we tell ourselves even more stories and we come up with even better excuses. So here's the thing. If you have a network of, of friends and family or colleagues or whoever it is that you would normally share a difficulty or a problem with, they're the people that you normally start with. If you eliminate all of those for whatever reasons you've come up with, that's when you need to start going, okay, who else? Do I need to lift the phone to the Samaritans? And here's the thing, you do not have to be suicidal to ring the Samaritans. They are one of the most fantastic services, you know, and they have so many different ways of helping. So if you are in a relationship crisis, if you are in financial crisis, if you're in bereavement, you know, we're humans, we react to human things. And the Samaritans are there to listen no matter what is going on. And if you've never lifted the phone, now is a really good time. And I would always say as well, don't wait until you're in crisis because if you've never done it and you're in anxiety and then you lift the phone, it's even worse. So you do it before you get to that anxiety place. The phone number for Samaritans is 116123. They're 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's no reason not to ring them. So really it's about who can I reach out to? And the next bit is, what do I need to say? So is it that I'm saying to them, I just need somebody to listen? Is it that you're asking for help? And if so, can you be a little bit specific about that? Mm -hmm. Have you considered what you're going to say, as in how much are you going to tell this person? Have you considered maybe whether, whether you're going to go to your GP or not, whether they're um, a part of this? Because the other thing is sometimes maybe the GP doesn't have the answer, but they may be able to refer you to, to a specialist. So there's lots of different options and lots of different ways. But the biggest piece is not to wait, because most often if we wait, it will get worse and we'll come up with more and more reasons. And in the meantime, our sleeping will get worse. Our uh, quality of eating will probably get worse. Our mood will probably get worse. And all of these things will negatively impact how we feel even more. And what can also happen in that time is we start isolating ourselves, as I mentioned, and we might also start damaging some of our relationships by treating people in a different way than we normally would. So there's so many different layers that can all be stopped just by starting a conversation. So really, sometimes it is about not the um, needing to dump everything, but starting to say to somebody, you know what, I'm not great today. I don't really want to talk about it, but I'm not great. And sometimes that's enough to alert the person to know, actually, maybe I need to show up for you a little bit more. And I think that's the gift that we have. We've got two ears and one mouth, and that is for a reason. We should listen twice as much as we speak when we're on the receiving end of that conversation and to say to somebody, you know what, I don't know what to say to you, but I'm here for you. And really to put it back to the person and keep asking, what would help you right now? And I think that's the bit to really focus on just right now, not the whole big thing, but right now in this moment or for the next hour, what would help or for the next couple of hours until you can get to the next point. Because sometimes we take on this thing and we think we have to fix all of it right now. We can't. So that bringing it down to a really simple thing and speaking sooner rather than later. I think those are the two uh, biggest tips or pointers that I can give to anybody who's not managing at the moment. And certainly because of COVID, I think it is this opportunity, as I mentioned, to have a more real conversation because everybody is in the same place. Everybody is struggling with it and everybody is feeling that anxiety. So it's more acceptable now than ever to say to people, isn't this a weird scenario? You know, I don't know about you, but I'm not feeling great. And I think that's that's the way forward, just to start the conversation. Thank you so much, Barbara. Um, 
Is there anything else you'd like to share today? You've just shared fantastic advice uh, to anyone out there. So anything else, any other message or anything else, any other project that you'd be working on? Well, I think uh, the, other, the other message I'd like to, to share with people, I suppose, is this piece of hope. That sometimes when we get into that really difficult space that we lose hope. And I think when we lose hope, it's really important to let somebody else carry it for us. So that, that gift that we can give to somebody is to be hopeful for them, but to communicate that. Um, and I think, again, you know, people aren't telepaths. So we have to say to somebody when we're not managing. So, so really about including something hopeful. And I think doing things like gratitude diaries and uh, or gratitude journals even, you know, or having a, um, a vision board or those kind of things they're so underrated and they're so simple and focusing on the positive things no matter how small those things really really help um, in relation to projects i suppose we're working towards getting our workplace program online for the first time um, we're also uh, currently training in 21 new ambassadors so i'm really excited to uh, to bring them um, along our journey and to int introduce those to to the world i suppose very shortly they're doing some training with us um, and we hope that they will be um, out and, and sharing their stories uh, very very soon and then obviously the green ribbon campaign will be working towards getting that both online and in person for for October of this year as well so there's there's lots to come so if anybody wants to find more about what we're doing you can follow us on Instagram on Facebook and on um, Twitter and it's Seachain Ireland or Seachain IRL on each of those and you can also follow us on our website at seachain.ie and we'll, we, we put regular updates so we're posting every day across those platforms so you can you come and join us and in the same way if you have any ideas of things that we can do together in how to have these conversations and what would really work from a societal point of view of changing the conversation in a positive way about mental health we would love you to get in touch with your ideas. Thank you so much, Barbara. It was fascinating. And thank you for all uh, your insights, uh, your uh, fantastic advice and you, the message and all the fantastic work that you do, of course. Thank you so much. Um, so it is unfortunately already the end of today's show with Barbara Brennan, who is the program coordinator at Sea Change. So please make sure uh, to tune in again to uh, listen or watch our next Vista Talks interview, where we'll be discussing more interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world.